Good morning. Welcome. We just uh, pray that you feel the Lord's presence as we hear his word today, because this is something that was totally his. So I want you to think of something important today. That's the idea of memory. Yours. What does your memory do for you? For me? For history? For the future? And for God? What role does memory play? And what role should it play? Or what role might it play? Let's think about that. And what God wants us to know about memory right here and now today. But first, let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much. And we ask you to teach us what you want us to know today. Lead us. Instruct us. Remind us and help us to make sense of what you put before us. For your honor and glory. In the name of Jesus, our Lord, I pray. Amen. Well, can I have the first picture up, please? Okay. What is this? Anybody? It's a map. Jay, you got it. The red line is Route 66. How'd you know that? You know the road. Because you remember something about it. Maybe some of you have been on it at at one point or another, at least on a a bit of it. Let me tell you a little about Route 66. It was designed to be the first highway to cross the U.S. from Chicago to Los Angeles. It was voted into existence in November 1926, and it was officially decommissioned out of existence in June of 1985. It was made famous in movies and songs like the 1946 song Get Your Kicks on Route 66 and the Route 66 TV show that was on in the early 60s. It was also featured in the Disney movie Cars and in a John Steinbeck novel The Grapes of Wrath. This road grew to symbolize escape and loss, and yet the hope of a new beginning. Steinbeck called it the Mother Road. It was also referred to as the Will Rogers Highway and the Main Street of America. It was a primary road for those who migrated west during the Dust Bowl of the 1930s. And people became prosperous for having businesses all along the route during that time. The route became full of curiosities and all kinds of things to see. Like the first one, the world's biggest bottle of ketchup in Collinsville, Illinois. Or the big Texas steakhouse in Amarillo, Texas, where if you could eat a 72-ounce steak in an hour, it was free. And I guess they still do that. 
or the Wigwam Hotel in San Bernardino, California, where you could stay in a supposed real wigwam overnight. Or the Gateway Arch in St. Louis, where you can still get a great view of the West that they said was being conquered. Or the Painted Desert in Arizona. Or what they call the Cadillac Ranch in Texas, where ten old Cadillacs are partially buried as a sort of monumental art piece. Or the blue whale of Catoosa, Oklahoma. Or the milk bottle grocery of Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Or the jackrabbit trading post of Joseph City, Arizona. The thing is that with all man-made things, fortunately or unfortunately, they all come and go. And now, virtually in less than a hundred years, very little is still left of the actual road, much less the oddities along it, for anybody to see anymore. And the memories of it are slipping away too. You see, memory is kind of a funny thing. If we don't keep using it, or if we don't keep reminding ourselves of something we think is important, then memories kind of go dark. And they go away the way of the highways of yesteryear. Gone. Forgotten. Irrelevant. You do understand, don't you? That we do everything that we do from memory. From walking to talking, to learning new things, and making new decisions. Think about it. We learn how to do one thing. And that one thing helps us to figure out the next thing we have to do. Everything we do is based in some way on history, on memory, on what's come before. I think that's one of the biggest reasons that our national idea of this cancel culture or erasing what's happened before is so wrong. We all learn from our past, or at least I think we should, in order to not repeat the mistakes we've made and in order to build on the good that's come out of it. Even the Bible characters wanted to make sure that memories weren't just academic exercises, but they meant something. Not just to them back then, but to those who would follow, even to us. So they could and would be in touch with God enough to ask the hard questions. Questions like, what in the world happened here? And what might we learn from it? That was the case of Noah as he exited the ark onto dry land once they, got, once they got off in order to restart civilization all over after the flood. Let's look at what we're told in Genesis 8, 15-22. Then God said to Noah, Come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives, 
Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground, so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number on it. So Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives, all the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on land, came out of the ark, one kind after another. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. And taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, will never cease. That was God speaking to Noah, but also speaking to himself, and further speaking to us. That was something God wanted all people, even himself, to what? To remember. Or how about the Lord speaking to Moses in Exodus 12? where he gives the whole community specific instructions about how they are to eat the very first Passover. Like verses 3 to 6 where it says, Each man must get a lamb for their household on the 10th of the month, a perfect one-year-old male, take care of it until the 14th, and then everyone will, will butcher the lamb at the same time. Then there are instructions as to how it's to be cooked and eaten and what to eat it with. And then verses 7 to 12 Tell them an important part. Everyone must take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the doorposts where they eat that lamb because I will go through the land of Egypt and kill all the firstborn animals and people in the land of Egypt. I will also punish all the gods of Egypt for I am the Lord. But the blood will be a sign on the house where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. Nothing terrible will hurt you when I punish the land of Egypt. You are always, hear that, always to remember this day and to celebrate it with a feast to who? To the Lord. Your descendants are to honor the Lord with this feast from now on. Exodus 13, 14 to, 15, 14 to 16 goes on to say, From now on, when your son asks you, What does this mean? You will answer, With his great power, the Lord brought us out from Egypt, the land where we were slaves. The king of Egypt was stubborn and refused to let us leave. But the Lord killed every firstborn male in Egypt, both human and animal. This feast is like a mark on your hand and a reminder on your forehead to help you remember that the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his great power, his mighty hand. Then there's the whole story of the pursuit of the Israelites by the Egyptians and how they were scared and wanted to go back to Egypt. But Moses says powerfully in uh, chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, 
Don't be afraid. Stand still and you will see the Lord save you today. You will never see the Egyptians again after today. You only need to remain calm. The Lord will fight for you. How many of us need to hear those words and remember those words again today? How many of us need to see that happen again too? But what we need to remember is that it did happen, just as they were told. And if it happened once, it can happen again. Now there are some, even today, that say that this, this never really happened. This is all hyperbole or just a big story. Even in Israel, the latest statistics are that in some areas, 40% plus of Israelites are secular Jews. In other words, Jews with literally no faith. At least not as the Jews that Moses led had. And yet, when you, when you look at it, even some of them were pretty much okay with being safe slaves in Egypt and not free children of the God Most High. The sto this story is there. This feast is there so that we can remember what God wants us to remember and to know what he wants us to know, that the God of all creation doesn't expire or have a sell-by date. His word isn't to be devalued over time or to become irrelevant and bypassed like a highway that's no longer used. Like many think or want to think nowadays it is. And why do they want to think that way? Frankly, because it's more convenient. It's more to some people's liking. I think 2 Timothy 4, 3-5 puts it perfectly. When it says, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine instead to suit their own desires. Hear that? To suit their own desires. They will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Boy, if that doesn't sound like today, huh? With right being called wrong and wrong being called right. Verse 5 goes on to say, But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Quite frankly, I think that's the best thing I can tell you today. This Bible that we say we believe in is absolutely full of what I'm calling memory markers and milestones. It's full of things that God has done for his people already, along with being full of of promises of good things yet to come in his time and in his way. Our just, job is just to keep on, keep on keeping on, remembering what God is about and living our lives accordingly. Regardless of what some want to think, this is still God's world. And we are God's people.
here to do his will in this place and in this time. Hopefully we use the memory markers and the milestone that milestones that he's left us in his word. His word that doesn't go out of date or out of fashion in order to share these truths every day for the benefit of those that we're going to face. Those that will take their turn after we've taught them of influencing the next generations yet to come until he comes again. As such, as I was preparing for today, God just put me kind of on a left-hand turn here. And this, this kind of, it may not seem real fluid at this point, but that's what he told me to do. So that's what we're going to do. And as such, uh, Jesus wants me to read to you Matthew 24, 1-35, because somebody here today needs to hear it, if not all of us. Verse 1 says, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of of the end of the age? In other words, what will be the memory marker that we need to look for? Jesus answers, watch that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Okay? That you are not alarmed. Such things must happen. But the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of birth pains. And then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations. Why? Because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Let me read that again. The one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken spoken of through the prophet Daniel, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great distress. 
unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone looks to you, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive. If possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there he is, out in the wilderness, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms. Do not believe. For as lingering as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the stress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the, man, the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds and one end of the heavens to the other. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly pass, not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. I guess what I can say here or conclude from this is that we're really not there yet. We are, I can say, one day closer to it than we were yesterday. But we still have more to do. More people to tell the story to. More truth to read of and to remember and to make sense of. More memory markers and milestones to understand and to learn from. You know, we had a couple of very interesting milestones and markers that happened this past week that I don't know if a lot of people pay attention to anymore. One was Valentine's Day. Some would call it kind of a pagan holiday to sell overpriced greeting cards and flowers. However, I would have to ask, is it ever wrong to remember love, that gift of God, and to express it to those that sometimes get forgotten or overlooked or taken for granted. My opinion, this day was kind of a reminder to do exactly that, which can be a very good thing. The other memory marker was the beginning of Lent on Ash Wednesday, a time that some in the Protestant church feel is too Catholic to observe, even though it has its root in the ancient practice of practice of sackcloth and ashes as part of the repentance process and it leads us into remembering our Lord 
as he fasted in the wilderness for 40 days, and as he was tempted by the enemy. This time that started on Wednesday then culminates with the passion of of Christ and the Easter story that, that ends the Lenten season with undoubtedly the best news ever, that Jesus was the perfect lamb that was sacrificed for us, but then overcame death and hell once and for all, back then, just as he will come again to gather his faithful children to himself in his own time. His children, I might add, that learned from him and from his word, from his memory markers and milestones. Even with all the junk going on around us, it tells us to think otherwise. I was quite interested to see that there was a, a, a national press conference on Wednesday. Not so much what was in the press conference, but there were a few that actually dared to go to the press conference with a cross of ashes on their forehead, displaying their faith visibly, tangibly, in front of everybody that was going to see them, not afraid to say, no, this is important. That's a milestone that means something. There's a lot of stuff to learn from this book. And a lot of stuff to put into action in our lives. Every one of us. May you hear his word. These divine memory markers. And may your resolve to follow him become greater every day. And may it never grow old-fashioned or outdated for you or your family or your friends, or those that you don't even know yet. In Jesus' eternal and divinely wonderful name. Amen. Pray with me, please. Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you for your word, for these memory markers, for all that you do for us every day, for all that you want us to know, for all the ways that you just love us more than we can even understand. Teach us, Lord. Help us to understand it. Make inroads into our hearts that we can't refute so that we can take that love and share it with others. Lord, thank you for the memory markers that you've given us and the milestones that we face in our lives every day, even if they're somewhat painful. If you're there, it's all good. Thank you, Jesus for your comfort, your love, your hope that we find in you. Thank you. Amen.